Amen. Thanks, Andrew. I, I hope that you're excited about those events. I'm excited about those events, Fair Stand and the Movie Night. Yes, we picked Friday the 13th because it's fun, and it's uh, we're going to do some Halloween movies and things, but it's just a cool thing to be able to invite people to our property. And so we hope that you'll jump in as a part of the fair stand. We hope that you'll jump in and say, we'll just be a part or invite people to the movie night. We're going to get physical invites. So if you've got friends that you want to invite and neighbors and stuff, you can hand them a card. And we're super excited about that. And I'm excited today to take us to our next step in our sermon series called Storyteller. We've been walking through the parables of Jesus. Specifically, we've been walking through Luke this year. That's been our focus, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And so we said, let's spend a little bit of time just focusing on the parables that Jesus told. He told a lot of stories. We think it was between 30 to 50 um, parables that he told. And so we've used that word, right? I've told you what that word means. It's a, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. As I was thinking about that idea this week, I kind of thought about, and maybe this was just me, or maybe you experienced this too. When you were a kid in school and the teacher would start a new unit and they would kind of say, hey, this isn't going to make sense at first, but we're going to walk our way through it. Did anyone else experience that? Or was that just me in math class? Okay, handful of us, maybe. So there were just times where conversations would start and it would be like, this isn't going to make sense to you. This isn't going to be quite what you understand. You not have the tools to figure this out like you have before. And so when Jesus tells these stories, he uses what we know to help us understand what we don't know. And so it's kind of like that unit. You don't get this yet. It's not making sense to you yet, but it will. And so Jesus leans into these stories to help us get some of these ideas that don't exactly make sense. And it was interest, it's interesting when you look at kind of the audiences he was dealing with. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And how they would have impacted the audiences that were listening. And how they would have fleshed out what that would be like. So I want to start today with a question. Um, it's kind of an open-ended question. It's just simply this. What is most valuable to you? Now, I said, open-ended question. You're like, Pastor Corey, I could take that anywhere. Like, that doesn't help me really. But I just want to just ponder that for a minute. What is most valuable to you? And we probably have to put a few different qualifiers on this, right? Maybe you've, had, you've been in a setting where someone has said to you, uh, if your house was on fire and everybody that is living is out of the house, so kids, family, dogs, cats, maybe leave the cat. Like you get the pets out and we like keep moving. We get all the living things out of the house. And you think you have time to run in for one more thing. What would you go get? think about that. And kind of even that says we value something, right? We value life over things. We kind of process that and say, this is what I value. Maybe you thought about this or you're thinking about this currently, or you remember when you were dating or if you are dating, there's a certain set of values that you would say the person that you're going to marry has to be X, right? There's certain other values or things that could be there. They may or may not be there. It's okay if you differ on some different, on some other things, but like there's a set of things that have to be there or I'm not going to marry that person, right? So you, you kind of think in different avenues of thought and we say that there are things that we value and there are things that we don't. There are things that we would say if I lost that thing, it wouldn't be the biggest deal, right? If you lost a dollar, probably not that big a deal. You lose a thousand dollars. That's a much bigger deal. We say there's certain things that we would think about and say, if I lost it or if it was gone, or if I never had it again, it would be a really big problem or it wouldn't be a problem at all. And so these things, we, we kind of use them to process the decisions we make. We use them to process how we go about our day. What we decide to do when we wake up in the morning says something about what we value. Where we decide to go during the day says something about what we value. Who we spend our time with says something about what we value. And these things, whether we think about it all the time or not, our values come out in how we make decisions. And I would say it this way, that what we value 
will direct what we are willing to pursue. What we value will, will set the bar for what we're willing to pursue. Some of you have decided at some point that you want to run a marathon. So if that's something you value, you're going to put time towards that. You're going to practice, you're going to run, you're going to build up, you're going to get the right shoes, you're going to make sure you've got the right water, you're going to register for the race, all of those things. You're going to put that pursuit in front of you and you're going to take the steps to pursue it. Some of us have done the same thing with an occupation. You say, I want to be a teacher or I want to be this or I want to be that. And you take those steps and you say, I'm going to pursue that. Those of us who don't want to run a marathon, me, other that want a certain job or something else, we are not going to pursue those things because we don't value them. And so when we think about the things that we value, it changes the way that we process how we make decisions and what we're willing to pursue in life. And if we're honest, right, sometimes we've pursued the wrong things. We've valued something that wasn't worth it. Maybe it was a job, or maybe it was a relationship, or maybe it was a hobby, whatever it might be. We, we looked at that thing and we said, I'm going to go as fast after that as I can. And then we got there and we said, that was a waste of time. That wasn't what I should have done. But there's other things that we've pursued and we've said, once we got there, we, want, we, we made it. We wanted it. And I've experienced this at different times in different settings, but one of the ones that kind of gets me usually is like when I'm in a space where I can hike a mountain or something like that. There's a point on a hike or on a, on a walk or on a whatever, you, you get to the point where you're like, I don't, maybe I should just turn around. But you look behind you and you're like, but I came all that way, right? I got to keep going. And if you just keep going, you'll, you'll make it to a point where you, you want to be. And if you set that priority, you set that pursuit, you're going you're gonna to get there. And we, we do this, but we don't necessarily think about it. But the story we're going to talk about today, there's actually three stories that are all just kind of right next to each other, and Jesus tells them all in a row. And the reason he tells these stories is to help us understand what God values. You think about this is important. Like for us to say, we're going to worship God. We're going to say that this God, of the God of Scripture, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God, if we're going to worship that God, what does he value? I was watching a video earlier this week, and they said something like, there's 3,000 gods, and Christians just choose one. And I'm like, yep, and I know why I choose that one. But it's important for us to say, what does he value? If I'm going to chase that God, if I'm going to pursue him, if I'm going to make time for him in my life, I have to know what he values. And so Jesus takes the time in Luke 15 to give us this idea. So if you want to turn there, Luke 15, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. We'll have the verses up on the screen for you, uh, but as always, you can scan the QR code on the back of your Next Steps card in the seat in front of you and go to our follow-along page. That'll give you all the verses, all the notes. You can submit a question or a prayer request. We would love for you to follow along there. So setting up Luke 15, verses 1 to it just says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that phrase, notorious sinner. No one wants that title, <laughs> and yet Luke just says, I see these people, this is exactly what they are. They were people you knew. Tax collectors, prostitutes, people they just knew were doing wrong things, and everybody knew it. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't something they hid. They just did it. So these tax collectors and notorious sinners are coming to listen to Jesus. And it says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So not only was he just like hanging out, impassing, hi, nice to see you, shaking their hand, whatever, he would have a meal with them. This is interesting because this, this is the setting of the conversation. This is why Jesus starts to have the conversation he's going to have next. And this is very interesting to me because I don't think there are a lot of settings in our culture or in other cultures where you get two, two groups of people that are polar opposites from each other and they're listening to the same person teach. 
usually doesn't happen. So you guys are here. Most of us would probably say we believe in God, right? We, we believe Jesus. We believe all these things. And we may differ, right, on some, little, on some theological issues, on some practical issues, things like that. But for the most part, we would probably say we are all on the same team. That's why you came and, and are having the conversation today. Now, in other settings, you might find the same thing. Someone comes to hear a speaker. There's probably not a large group of people that completely disagree with the person talking, or there's probably not groups of people that are completely opposite. The only one I can think of that happens normally is the State of the Union address. Because you've got Democrats on one side, you've got Republicans on the They boo at each other, they yell things, they sit down or they stand up for certain things, right? They, they are purposefully making their side of the argument known. That's kind of the setting for Jesus. There are people that are listening to Jesus on complete opposite sides from one another. Tax collectors, Pharisees, they would have completely disliked each other. Zealots and people that were not zealots, different than each other, would not have wanted to be associated with each other. He gets these people that have been following him, and he says, there's people on different sides of this, of this spectrum. And what's interesting is he has a conversation about what God values, and that conversation will also unite them if they listen to it well. And so he goes on, and I want to say this, just talked about it for a little bit, but the Pharisees didn't value people who didn't look and think like them. The Pharisees, as they complain about it, as they realize what's going on, as they realize the people that are coming to listen to Jesus, they don't value those people. They say that they're not good enough. They say that their practices, their habits, their things that they do makes them not qualified to sit and listen to a rabbi. And so Jesus knows this. Jesus senses this or he hears this, whatever it might have been. And he goes on and, and he starts this story. In verse, verses 3 and 4, he says this. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders Verses 5 and 6, it says, When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and, have, and haven't strayed away. Verses 7 and 8, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Verse 10, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So listen, remember the setting. He's got people that are notorious sinners. That's their category. He's got people who are Pharisees and he's got people in the middle. He tells this story, he says, when someone who is, fat, who is lost is found, he says there is more celebrating over that than the ones that were not. We know this to be true. If you have something, you don't go looking for it. Like if you know where it is and you know that you put it there and you walk back and it's always there, it's the, you don't have to go looking for it. But there are some things that just tend to disappear. In our house, it's the TV remote. It gets up and walks away with six little legs around our house and disappears. We have to go looking for it. It's the thing I've probably spent the most time looking for in my life, trying to find that, figure it out. There are other things I put up on high shelves so that the six little legs can't reach it, and then it won't disappear. 
And if we need it or we want, when I don't want to watch something, I don't care where it is. But if I want to know where or I want to watch something, I need to know where it is. I need to figure that out. We know that when we have something, we don't go looking for it. But when something is lost and it's valuable to us, we go and we get it. And this conversation comes kind of right in the face of the Pharisees. Because Jesus says, I know that you guys think you haven't wandered away. But it's more exciting in heaven when someone who was far off returns or someone who was lost and is found. When that person is found, that's the thing we celebrate. And if we think about that, we kind of maybe let it settle in to how we understand God. That could bug us a little bit. Wouldn't God be happy that I'm around? Wouldn't God be happy that I didn't make bad decisions? Wouldn't God be happy that I'm not in the category of notorious sinner? Like that would be a good thing to stay away from. And yet Jesus says, the lost things are the things that heaven celebrates when they're found. Here's what I want us to get, right? You don't look for something you don't want. So I want to pause for a second and say, first of all, God pursued us. That's why we took communion today is because Jesus came to earth as a human to die for us and he pursued us. We had no chance at saving ourselves. That, that ship had sailed. There's no way we could have done it. And yet when Jesus saw that we were the lost ones, he came looking for us. And it's hard sometimes when we think about life and we kind of go, but God didn't allow this to happen, or God had this happen, or God led me this way, or God allowed me to make that choice. How is that valuable? How does that, I, the things I value, I treat well, and it seems like God allows these bad things to happen that maybe seems like he's not treating us well, and that leads us to a place where we go, maybe God doesn't value me. But the reality is, as Jesus is telling this story, he's, he's letting us know, no, like, he values us so greatly. He sees us as the lost thing that he needed to come and find. And when we were lost, he came looking for us. But there's a piece of this that we, we also have to understand because there's something that he says about those people who are celebrated when they are brought home. And in, verses, in verse 10, I'll just read it again. It says, In the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels whenever one sinner repents. It's a big word. It's an important word. And it has to do also with this idea of value and pursuit. And so the way I would want us to understand what repentance is, especially in the context of these stories, is that repentance is turning from our own pursuits to pursue God. If you look at what the word repent in Greek actually means, it's, it's a turning. It's saying, I was going this way, I was pursuing this thing, I was focusing on that, and I literally do a turn the other direction, and I go that way instead. And so there's this moment that we have to understand when something is lost, or when we realize who God is, or what, however you want to say that, there is a turning that happens, and we say, we're not going to pursue the things we once pursued, but we're going to pursue God instead. And so in doing so, we repent. And we say, I know that I need Jesus. I know that I'm lost. I know what that means, and I have to pursue him instead. And so Jesus, Luke says it this way, right? In verses 11 and 12, it says, to illustrate the point further. This says something to me like that. This is an important understanding. Jesus tells three parables to help us get one thing. That makes it really important. 
He didn't just say this. Like, there's parables you can find there, like, two or three sentences, and he just kind of moves on. This was a big one. He spent this time helping us understand. So he goes on in verses 11, 12. says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Okay, let's pause for a minute. This is as harsh as it sounds. And the people listening to this original story would have never thought that dad would actually agree to this deal. So son says, I know my dad has money. He's got a good amount of money. I don't want to wait for him to die. I don't want to spend time with him. I just want him to give me what he can give me now. And I'm just going to take it and I'm going to use it now and have a good time. And dad knows that. And dad says, okay. Like the people listening would have thought, there's no way I would do this. And even dads, as we're thinking about this, if our sons came into this, we'd be like, no, you're nuts. Like, get out of here. Like, this is not happening. But he says, yes. And so the story goes on in verses 13 and 14. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Really bad timing. He goes, takes all his money, wastes all his money. Soon as he runs out, there's a famine, so it gets worse. So he's in a bad spot, and he began to starve. Verses 17 to 19 says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verses 20 to 21. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So he runs back. We've heard this story before, many of us. He runs back. Dad sees him, runs out to him. They meet. They embrace. And clearly, dad's response to seeing his son says he wants his son back. Like, he's happy that this person that he values and loves dearly is back in his life. Doesn't matter what he did. He's going to bring him back in. But this, this next part goes to another level that we don't understand in our culture, and I'll help us get there. Verses 22 to 24, it says, But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. And put it on him. This was actually the father's robe. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this, this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And here's what this means. When, when younger son comes to dad and says, Hey, I want my amount of the estate. And he says, yes. He goes, okay. So he gives the younger son, the section that he would have gotten, which means the sum that dad has left is now less. Writes him a check. That money is cash to younger son. His estate gets lower because that younger son just took his. So when son comes back and says, dad, I want to come back as a servant. What the son is really saying is, I understand I wasted all of your money and have no right to the money that's remaining in your estate. So just bring me on as a servant. I'll just serve. I just don't want to starve anymore. 
But what dad does is he comes out and he puts his robe on him, puts the ring on him, puts the sandals on him. What he's actually doing is saying, not only are you going to be welcome back in my house and I'm going to take care of you, you now have a right again to the estate that I own. So the money that's gone is gone. It's never coming back, but it doesn't matter. Now you have the right to my estate again. You have all the rights of a son. And when we think about that, especially if we think about it just as, a, as an observer, if we looked at what younger son did, younger son's a jerk at the beginning of the conversation. And we would look at that and say, okay, dad lets him come back in. He lets him live in his house. He lets him, even if he says, you don't have to be a servant, you can have your old room back, whatever. But there would be some like, no, he shouldn't get more money later. That, that part has sailed, right? He's, he's done with that. But dad actually says, no, 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 you, you're going to get a cut of this. Like you're back in. Even though you wasted all that money, you, you get to come back in. This is a big deal. This is also one of the reasons, if you know the story, the older son gets so upset. Because this also means that the older son now has less of the estate that's his. Because younger son gets to have it too. At least that's the way the older son sees it. So let's keep going. Verses 25 to 27 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? This is important. Older son not looking for younger son. Like, think about that for a minute. If you're a good sibling, and your, your sibling goes off the rails, goes nuts, you probably at least make one attempt. I'm going to try and find him. I'm going to try and talk some sense into him, trying to bring him back, like, before all the money's gone, maybe, if this is the situation. But, like, Older son has no, and at some point, right, if we really tease that out, like you might just have to let people make their own decisions, and you tried, and you just let them go. But he has no idea that, son, that, that this son has come back. And clearly it's important to dad because he was looking. So he's off in the field. He comes back. And he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. What the older son heard was, I just got less money. Going on in verses 28 to 29, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all of these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Now think about that language. The older son, is there really a heart change in him? Is he responding as a loving son to his dad? No, he says, all these years I've slaved for you. You've never given me a dime. Older son's an entitled jerk too. He does not, he's not changed by the father's love. He does not approach him as a loving son. He says, you've just never given me what I think I deserve. Verse 30, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Verses 31 to 32, it says, His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So Jesus in these stories says, I want you to understand what God values. I want you to hear this. And sometimes I think when we hear these stories, we think, oh, that was one time for me, like when I was the lost 
thing maybe and I'm back now or like I was never really that lost because I got saved when I was a kid or like whatever. Like this is good. Like those people who do drugs and those people who do this and those people out there, those notorious sinners, as we would understand that maybe in our context, we go, they need to know this and they need to understand. But the question is, and especially as the Pharisees are processing this, Jesus is asking this question, do we value the same things God values? When, when, when I asked that question at the beginning of the conversation, what do you value most? What's most valuable to you? Like, do we value the things God values? Is that something that comes into our mind as we process that question? And as Jesus walks us through this, it's, it's very clear how he wants us to understand what God values. And I would say that this is true. If we don't value what God values... We have not been changed by his love. If you think about the response from the older son, he never looked at his dad and thought, man, I have my own issues and dad's always loved me. Dad's always cared for me. He's always provided for me. He's always there. He just says, dad, you haven't given me what I deserve. You haven't given me the things I think I need. And yet when my brother who's done all these bad things He comes back in the picture. He gets all the things I never got. It's not fair, Dad. But really what Jesus wants us to get is like, we we have to be changed by this. We have to look at this and say, we were once the lost sheep. I I think, let's pause for a minute. I think sometimes we read that story and we go, I would never be that dumb sheep that got lost. There'd be some other sheep on the cliff somewhere, hiding somewhere. I've never been that. I've made sure I stayed really close. And we have to get to the point where we get, like, I, we were the lost sheep. We were all lost sheep. And Jesus came looking for us. And so do we value the same thing God values? Interestingly enough, in these stories, Jesus gives us a very clear picture of how we know and celebrate the things we value. And I don't even think it's something that's just from the Bible. It's, it's something that humans understand in general. So let me ask this question and then we'll go through it, right? How do I know what you value? If I looked at your life or you looked at mine, how do I know the things that are valuable to you? Here's the first thing. You search for it when you don't possess it. You search for it when you don't have it. And you will tell other people you're looking for it. If you're in your home and you're looking for your keys or you're looking for your wallet or you're looking for whatever. In fact, if somebody went outside today and realized they didn't have their keys and came back in looking for their keys and we looked at them like, hey, you just left. Why are you back? They say, I'm looking for my keys. There would be some of us that would do what? We would jump in and start looking because your keys are valuable. You need them back. You need them to go home or wherever you're going to go. We would jump in and we would say, we will help you look. And so you search for the things that you value when you don't possess them. Either you want them, you've not gotten there yet, or you had them and they've been lost. And so if you value it, you're going to search for it. You're going to work to find it. You're going to work to get to the point where you want to get to. And so we even tell people about that. Hey, I'm on this pursuit. I'm trying to do this. I'm working towards this goal. We might even ask people to help us. And so we know when people are pursuing something or they're looking, they search for it when they don't possess it. And, and Jesus sets this up. If we just read verses 3 and 4 again. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. This was so important for him. If you put me in charge of 100 sheep and I only lost one, I might feel pretty good about myself, honestly. 
because I am not a shepherd. I'm not good at, at keeping sheep around, right? I've never done that before. But for this context, this was their livelihood. This is what they needed. When I was a youth pastor, if I had 100 kids and I lost one, I would look for them. Different scenario, depending on the kid. So we figured that one out. If it was Patrick, I would have looked for you, man. I just want you to know. Okay. So we would look. But we, we have to think about it. If we value it, we will pursue it if we don't have it. Here's the second thing. You get excited and tell others when you have it. So if you achieve something or if you get the job or you get the promotion or you finish the marathon or you whatever you do, you will tell others. It will be a social post. It'll be a phone call. It'll be whatever, right? You would tell other people. I've watched, uh, for the last few years, I watched the show Hard Knocks uh, that goes through training camp with an NFL team and like how that goes. And they always focus on these players that have tried so long to get to the NFL and they're, they're like on that cusp, right? They, they don't know if they're going to make it or not. And if they, when they make it, what do they do? They call mom and dad. They post it, whatever. They, they want people to know that they've done the thing that they wanted to do. They've reached it. And so we get excited and we tell other people he goes back in the story again in verse 5. It says, when he arrives after he gets the sheep, he says, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. So I got to tell other people about it because it's valuable to me. I did it or I have it or I want other people to know about it. And here's the third thing. You throw a party to celebrate it. What are the things we throw parties for? We throw birthday parties because we value people. We're thankful they're in our lives. We're thankful we got to experience another year with them. We throw parties for anniversaries because we want to celebrate our relationship with somebody. We throw parties for people that are retiring because we want to celebrate the time that they spent investing in our organization. We throw parties for other things because we want to say we, we value either being with people or celebrating the thing that's happening or celebrating the person the party's about, whatever it might be. We throw parties and we celebrate it. So again, our question do we value what God values? Do we throw parties to celebrate it? Do we tell other people about it? Do we search for it when we don't have it or when we know somebody else needs it? That's the question. And, and when we come together on Sundays, sometimes people get a little worried about church being, like if you use the word party in church, people get weird. I don't care. That's why we get together. We get to celebrate once a week all together as a part, as a church family, what Jesus did for us. So we throw, it's not a typical party like in our culture, but we do things that celebrate, right? We sing songs that are uplifting. We talk about Jesus. We do things like communion. It's a little more reflective, but it's to worship and celebrate him, right? There's a celebratory piece to what we do on Sundays. Why? Because we want to celebrate the things that are valuable to us. We say we know it's valuable to God when we come together, we learn more about him, we grow closer to him, we encourage one another, we invest in one another, we teach kids about him, we worship him, we celebrate it. We throw, we'll call it a party every week. Here's what I want us to get. This is, this is the piece that I really want to like sink in. It's a little bit wordy, but we'll get there, okay? Our values reflect the values of those who valued us the most. Read it one more time. Let's sink in. Our values reflect the values of those who valued us the most. Here's what I would guess. If you grew up in a household where being, if you weren't 15 minutes early, you were late. That is probably ingrained in you and you hate being late. Now you may not even like that about yourself, 
but you feel that. If you grew up in a home that had to be clean all the time, right, had to be put away, beds had to be made, you, you cannot leave your room without making your bed because it is ingrained in you and valued in you. Why? Because the people who valued you gave you your values. Because when we look at the people who value us, especially as kids and teenagers, we look at people who value us and we say, I want to be like that person because they love me and I want to be like them. It's why we say we need people to invest in teenagers and students who aren't their parents. Because when teenagers and students and kids see that there are other adults who love them and care about them and want them to know Jesus, they realize that and that becomes a value for them. And so we have the values of our parents in us, especially if we had loving parents that reflected that value to us. And they value us the most. The question is, when we hear these stories from Jesus, do we think about it and go, God valued me the most? And so I want to reflect his values to those around us. It's ingrained in us if it's our parents, but is it ingrained in us when it's God? And here's the thing that happens. When we believe we've earned God's love, we won't bother sharing it with others. This is where the older brother was. This is where the Pharisees were. This is when we look at this story and go, I would never be that stupid sheep that gets lost. I'm the one who stays close by. We go, I earned it. Because when we look at our relationship with God and we go, I'm good enough to earn a relationship with God, then when somebody else gets God's attention, it feels like we're losing something. Because we don't think they're worth it. And this is where the Pharisees were. This was the start of that conversation. And so we shouldn't, we can't be in the camp of, oh, well, I've earned God's love. I would, No, no, no. Like, he came searching for us when we were lost. And the values that we reflect should be the values of those who valued us the most. And what Jesus wants us to get is those lost things he values greatly. And what makes us upset sometimes is when we see the celebration of other people coming to know Jesus, it's like, wait, but I, I've been here. Like, I want, I want the celebration. I want the thing. But what we have to get is, your party already happened. Like when you turned and decided to follow Jesus, your party happened. That's what Jesus is telling us. So we should join the celebration in somebody else's life when they decide to do what we did and they can be welcomed into the space and celebrate what God has done in their lives too. When we're the ones standing in the way of the party, we, we've missed it. So the last thing I want us to get is that when we show people how valuable they are, we show them the heart of God. When we show people how valuable they are, we show them the heart of God. This is something people struggle with. This is something we struggle with. We get to points in life where we go, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. I just don't feel like I'm there. And maybe as I, even I talked about parents, you're like, your parents didn't instill these values in you like they didn't they maybe made you feel like you weren't good enough but what god is saying is you you're good enough for me to chase after you're valuable enough for me to chase after and when we don't reflect that to other people as the pharisees weren't reflecting that to the people that were around them he says you've missed it but when we do reflect value to other people we reflect how valuable they are and we reflect the heart of God. So here's here's the question. Last question. Who 
needs me to show them how valuable they are this week. That's how I want us to process this. Who needs me to show them how valuable they are this week? I'll give you some hints. If you walk into a store, it's probably the person at the customer service desk. Probably. If you've got a return to do, you've got something, I'm just telling you, as someone who's been on the other side of that desk, people show up, they're angry, man. And you can be someone that just says, how's your day going? I hope you have a good day. I hope, I hope that you're doing well. Maybe it's the person at the drive-thru. Maybe it's your coworker that's going through a difficult situation. Maybe it's someone you know from school that's not having a good day. Like it, who can we just show up for like five minutes and say, I value, I may not even know that person, but I want them to know that they're valuable. It's a difference. It's a difference in how they understand their day and, and what's going on and how they process who they are. And when someone who loves Jesus shows up and says, I know how valuable you are and I want to reflect that to you, it helps them understand the heart of God that we were seeing in these parables in Luke. So find somebody this week. It could be someone in your own house too. But find someone this week and say, I'm, I'm going to reflect how valuable you are to God because I know how valuable I was to him. And just see what happens. You may not know. You may not ever see the result of that interaction, but we know that we're fulfilling this idea when we look at other people who maybe think differently than us, look differently than us, have a different job, have different whatever, and we just say, I'm going to value you because I know that God values me, and I want you to know that too. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're so grateful that when we were the lost sheep, when we were the lost coin, when we were far off, you came looking for us. You said, I'm, I'm not willing that you would be left out in the wilderness or lost wherever you are, that you decided that we were worth chasing. And God, I pray that that would just, that would sink in. That we, it's so easy to become, to have the, attitude of the older brother or the Pharisees and, and just think through and, and think that we earned something. And so when other people come to Jesus, it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. But like my life's tough. And like we, we look at you and we go, but I'm, I've been here. Haven't I earned this? And God, I pray that that idea would just drift away from our minds and we would recognize how valuable you've shown we are to you. And I pray that we would then in turn show people how valuable they are because of how you've valued us. And I pray that these stories would not be just stories, but they would be an understanding of, of who we are to you and how we're called to interact with others. So I ask specifically that you would just send people our way and then bring this idea to our minds this week. As we go about life wherever we go, that there would be someone that we would just know that person needs to feel valued and we would go out of our way for them whether that's just a kind word, it's a cup of coffee, it's, it's lunch, it's whatever, that we would just say, I value you because I've been valued by God. And I pray that you would take that and just run with it farther than we could ever think in the hearts of those people. In Jesus' name, amen.